Call the Chancellor of the Exchequer. The Tax Factor from Blake Rothenberg. Autumn Budget Special. With Nimesh Shah and Heather Self. I'm Nimesh Shah and welcome to an autumn statement special of The Tax Factor. So no surprise, we have one agenda point this week, which is to dissect Jeremy Hunt's autumn statement. I'm joined by my regular Tax Factor colleague, Heather Self. Hi, Heather. Great to have you along on such an important day in our tax calendar. In one word, sum up Jeremy Hunt's autumn statement. I'm going to have a hyphenated word, pre-election. I was going to catch you out on that one, Heather, and I thought that was two words, but I'll let you have it. Why pre-election? Why do we think that this statement had so much of a flavour that it's gearing up for a general election? It was billed as an autumn statement, but we're going to get a finance bill, I think, within a few days. I think what he wants to do is get the measures introduced early in the new year so that they're all in full effect before we get to an election, which I have to say I'm now definitely expecting in May. He spent quite a lot of money in this autumn statement, and there was a lot of detail, he mentioned 110 measures in total. Where that money has gone, two big ones, which I'm sure we're going to talk about in a bit more detail, are the cuts to national insurance and full expensing for capital allowances purposes. Interesting that you think that it might be a spring election. I actually felt that this autumn statement was a little bit vanilla, a little bit bland. Uh, A lot of the measures that we got were quite dull, albeit, as you say, some big numbers flying around. Uh, Nothing on inheritance tax, which had been trailed so heavily, nothing on reduction in income tax, nothing on VAT thresholds, nothing really on the IR35 reform. So some of the big measures that I was expecting to be in this autumn statement, if it was in fact a pre-election statement, as you think, Heather, it wasn't really there. Let's take a couple of those. On inheritance tax, I think he just got cold feet. I think that was so easy for Labour to badge that as being a tax cut for the rich while the poor were struggling. I think he's just put that onto the back burner. Inheritance tax really needs reforming, but it needs proper reform, not just headline tax cuts. On income tax, by cutting national insurance rather than income tax, it does two things. Firstly, he can bring it in from the 6th of January, whereas if it was income tax, it wouldn't be until the 6th of April. And secondly, of course, a cut in national insurance doesn't give anything to pensioners. They're getting something on the other hand from the full up rating of the state pension, but it's a little bit cheaper for him than a cut in income tax. And as he did, he can badge it as a cut in taxes on jobs. Some great points there, Heather. Let's maybe dive into some of that detail on national insurance, because that was the big one. And when I added up the notes in in the autumn statement, Green Book as it is, 50 billion of national insurance giveaways in the run up to 2029. Let's start with the employed worker. What actually happened there? At the moment, an employee pays 12% national insurance on their earnings over 12,570. And that's going to go down to 10% from the 6th of January 2024. So as you say, there's a cost in this financial year of about 2 billion, and then it's about 8 or 9 billion a year for the forecast period. Anybody who is earning more than 50,270 gets about £750 in total benefit, which means that somebody on a higher amount of income gets more than somebody on a lower income. Whereas if he'd done it through increasing the allowances, then that would have been a flat amount for everybody and so proportionately more beneficial to the lower paid. He also did a little bit on national insurance for the self-employed as well. But I'll I'll come back to that. Let's just talk about the employed individuals first. What was your take on that, Nimesh? I thought it was interesting that 
it was national insurance build, as, as you suggested, Heather, as well. And I completely agree with your points that the encouragement around working, not giving something to pensioners because they had had something as well. But the thing that was missing for me still, and I know that me and you are absolutely on the same page on this, is the freezing of the allowances and the thresholds. That effect of fiscal drag, that stealth tax, that is really hurting lower and middle earners. And the effect of that over many, many years now, that's expected to run until 2028. I don't feel that the national insurance cut, even though it is 2%, which in headline terms sounds like a lot of money, and the £750 you mentioned is £63 a month for a middle earner. The effect of fiscal drag, though, is still hurting middle earners so much. And I quickly worked out that for someone earning 60000 which sounds like a lot of money, but since 2010-11, when the coalition government came in, in real terms, when you take into account of inflation, they are £17,000 worse off, despite that national insurance cut that's been announced today. So I think there's a huge amount of work that the government and the Treasury still need to do to really equalize things because people have been dragged into those higher rates of income tax, 40% income tax. But people don't notice that. You only notice that you've been dragged into a higher rate if you get a pay rise and you pay more tax on it than you thought you were going to do. The cut in national insurance is going to hit pay packets in January. And therefore, I just think it's much more visible to the people who don't spend all their time calculating how much tax they're paying. You mentioned specifically people on about 60,000. And of course, they're going to be hit by the high income child benefit charge, which I know we've mentioned before on these podcasts, which is a really complicated tax charge that applies to couples where one earner is earning above 50,000. Once you get above 60,000, you lose your child benefit altogether. If you'd done something on the high income child benefit charge this year, you could only have done it with effect from the next tax year. So that's 2024-25. And people wouldn't have noticed it until the charge was due to be paid, which is the 31st of January 2026, way after the election. So I really think the timing of what he's done is very much focused on the upcoming election. It's a good point, Heather, that it's getting money into people's pockets sooner rather than later. doesn't still take away the fact that freezing of allowances is a horrible way to raise taxes. I'm using your phrase there and something that I'd really like to see reversed in the next budget or the one after. Absolutely agree on that, Nimesh. We should just mention that there were some national insurance changes for the self-employed as well. The self-employed, their main rate has gone down from 9% to 8%. They pay a lower rate than employees. So this is bringing the two rates a bit closer together because they've only got a one percentage point reduction. And also the the class two small flat rate contribution has been abolished. That means for a self-employed person on average earnings of about 28,200, they get a 350 pound saving, which is broadly similar to what an employee on a similar amount would get. Jeremy Hunt in his speech in great fanfare said that the self-employed dragged us through the pandemic. They should be really celebrated hugely as a community. I remember me and you talking in the height of the pandemic and saying, well, actually, where's the support for the self-employed? When the furlough scheme was announced in great fanfare at the time, there was nothing for the self-employed until an afterthought came in around the self-employment income support scheme, which was very limited in scope, was not as generous as furlough. And actually, I relate that to what's happened in the autumn statement as well. It's a 1% reduction in class four national insurance. Yes, they've abolished class two, which I really welcome. It's a simplification and it is money back in the self-employed pockets. But I do feel that the self-employed aren't going to be doing cartwheels really. Uh, And 
and actually their um, introduction of the national insurance reduction only comes in from April 2024, whereas the employed worker has that benefit, sees that benefit from January 2024 as well. And I, I appreciate that might be some technical reason around that. But nevertheless, it does feel like the self-employed aren't really looked upon that favourably by this government, especially when you think about IR35, the off-payroll working rules. And we didn't see anything around that. That causes huge frustration for the self-employed community operating through limited companies. And I thought we might see at least a consultation around how we can tidy up those rules. Let's turn to the business tax measures now, shall we? And again, there was one very large one here, which is the full expensing. So a business that is spending on qualifying plant and machinery can write it off completely for tax purposes. A measure to do this on a temporary basis was in the spring budget, and it's now going to be made permanent. This is a measure with a really big cost shown as about 10 billion a year from 2027. Although I've read somewhere that the IFS thinks the true cost may be less than that, it will depend on just how that expenditure is phased, I think. Importantly, it has no effect at all on small businesses because they get the annual investment allowance so they can already expense £1 million of capital expenditure and only about 5% of businesses spend more than that each year. So this is a measure aimed at targeting big business and hopefully increasing the amount of investment in the UK. How generous is full expensing, Heather? When I think about corporation tax rates being 19% a few years ago, they were due to fall to 17%. I think there was a suggestion at one point they might go as low as 15%. We now have a 25% headline rate, as confirmed by Jeremy Hunt last year. We now have this full expensing regime, which really is an extension of the super deduction that Rishi Sunak brought in. So if you're an international investor into the UK, you look at the 25%, but do you really think about the full expense? regime and is it that generous? It makes a big difference to cash flow and when you're looking at the net present value of a big infrastructure project, yes it does make a difference because you're going to get relief for all that investment up front before if you're building a power station or something, it's probably a five-year project, an awful lot of expenditure on machinery. You'll get full relief for that and the profits will then come in a few years later and then you'll pay your tax at 25%. It does require you to have enough profitable capacity elsewhere in the business to be able to absorb all these extra allowances. But again, the really big infrastructure players are the ones who are going to benefit from this. I do think it's a bit of a confused message externally, especially in the international space. This is where I may agree with Liz Truss and her growth budget, which she announced last week, that I would have preferred to have a more simpler corporate tax regime, but a lower headline rate of corporation tax. I think the UK was the envy of the Western world when it did have that lower rate of corporation tax, but that's hey, just my view. And I think it's still not too high by historical terms or compared to the rest of the, the G7. What it does do though, overall, it's, it's narrowing the base and increasing the rate, which goes against the trend of all the corporate tax changes over the last 20 or 30 years. So it is a slightly odd one, but it is something that will be welcomed by some of the big infrastructure players. Mm. And I think there's a real drive to try and get these big green energy projects going. So perhaps it'll work. Who knows? Mm. Turning maybe attention to smaller businesses, and in particular those in retail, hospitality and leisure, a sector which has been really, I suppose, uh, quite quite hurt over the last few years with the pandemic, high inflation, high energy costs. They've, they've really had to fight very hard and also labour shortage as well, I should say, in the context of Brexit. There's some good news there with the extension of the discount 
on on business rates as well. I, I do wonder that this Christmas trading period that we're about to go into, that's going to be critical for that sector. And will the government look at further measures depending on how many business casualties we may have in the new year? Uh, what more can the government do to really support that sector? Because I still think the huge labour shortage that, that exists is a real drain on that sector. And that business rates relief is about the only bit of good news for smaller businesses. If you're not in that sector, then tough. There's no change to corporation tax. There's no change to employers' national insurance. The cut in employee national insurance is just going to get passed on to employees. As I said before, full expensing doesn't do much because they already have the annual investment allowance. And also, they're going to have to cope with the rise in national minimum wage. A lot of businesses, particularly in the hospitality sector, they do pay minimum wage. They're now going to have to find pretty well another pound an hour for all their employees. We've talked about the big, the biggies, national insurance and full expensing for corporates. Was there anything else that caught your eye, Heather, in the autumn statement and the detail in the Green Book? There's some quite detailed changes to research and development, um, which I think our colleague Ellie Theokery will be commenting on over coming weeks. They are very detailed, and I think that's one where we do need to take the time to look at those in more detail. There was a brief mention of some more resources for HMRC, which would be a good thing if we can get them uh, providing something resembling customer service. Although looking in more detail, apparently it's just for debt management capacity. So it's going to be to help them collect the money that they haven't been able to talk to people about why there's an inquiry or what's going on. So that's not very exciting. A little bit more on tax avoidance. There's always something on tax avoidance. There's going to be a new criminal offence for promotion voters of tax avoidance who continue to promote avoidance schemes after receiving a stop notice, but nothing very big there. I know that Jeremy Hunt mentioned actually during the speech that he felt that there was five billion up for grabs from people who owed the right amount of tax and giving HMRC more resources to go and collect that tax. I am a bit sceptical here. When HMRC can't answer the phone lines over the summer period, how are they going to go about uh, actually collecting five billion amount of tax? And I hope that Jeremy Hunt isn't banking on that too much, but we'll see see again how that money is deployed by HMRC and will it go into the right ways in order to, to close that tax gap as well. One other small point that I think is worth mentioning, there were some uh, relaxation around the ISA rules, something I follow very closely. I'm a big fan of the ISA, but they closed a bit of a loophole when it came to the ISA as well. Currently, you can have two ISAs if you're age 16 and 17, a junior ISA and the normal full fat ISA. Now you can only have the adult ISA from age 18 as well. So that loophole is gone. My daughter's only 10 months old, so I'm going to miss that window as well. But I know a few people did benefit from those higher ISA allowances when age 16 and 17. So that opportunity is now past us, unfortunately. Heather, just to wrap up then, we've covered quite a lot there in the autumn statement. There wasn't really that much to write home about apart from those big areas that we've talked about what would you have liked to have seen in this autumn statement that wasn't there really just a strategic look at the tax system as we've mentioned as we've gone along there's all sorts of glitches in there there's the the fact that personal allowances have been frozen high income child benefit charge inheritance tax there's all sorts of areas where all we're getting are flashy headline changes and no real look at the underlying structure i think that's a super point and something i would love to see the next chancellor rumors that this was jeremy Hunt last as Chancellor as well, that just having that forward vision on our tax strategy and so that businesses and individuals can actually plan with some certainty. We could set the world to right, we could set Jeremy Hunt to right, but we have run out of time again on this week's edition of The Tax Factor. It's worth noting the devil is in the detail, as we always say. I'm sure there'll be more to come out over the next few days around the autumn statement, and we'll delve into that in future editions of The Tax Factor. Uh, so no doubt there'll be some topics that we'll come back to in the weeks and months ahead. And we'd like to 
hear your views on the autumn statement. If you visit the Tax Factor page on our website, you'll find a form to contact us. Let us know if you think it was good, bad or indifferent. We'd also like to know what stories and topics you'd like us to cover in the future. We record the podcast every Wednesday so you can message us right up to the time we record. I'm sorry, but we can't give individual advice or responses to messages. And for myself, a tempered autumn statement this time round. I'm looking forward to the next budget, which might have more fireworks in it. You can find more insights and commentary on the autumn statement on our website, blickrothenberg.com. We've also got a fantastic tax calculator, so you can see if you are better, or hopefully not, worse off. Until next time, from Heather and myself, goodbye. And I commend this statement to the House. The Tax Factor Autumn Budget Special with Nimesh Shah and Heather Self. That's all for this episode of The Tax Factor. Find all our previous episodes wherever you get your podcast. And join us again next time on The Tax Factor. Yeah.